We have a very exciting announcement. It's a Patreon with tears starting at just $1. Please support us. We really want this to be good for you and good for us. When we you really support love us, doing this. you make this show better. And we love the show and you love the show. So let's love the show together. <laughs> and also just not making it better, just making it possible. We have yes, so yeah. many exciting things coming soon that a Patreon donation of even $1 will be very helpful and we'd be very appreciative to see that support this modern world of science and invention is of particular interest to women hello and welcome to lady history the good the bad and the ugly ladies you missed in history class I think we've reached the point of diminishing returns on the Zoom jokes, but hey, Lexi, Lexi, have you ever gone undercover? Um, I'm trying to think, but no, I don't think so. That's, yeah, no. I've stalked people on the internet. That doesn't count. This is a bad answer. Let me, let me think and call up with something funny. No, nope, nothing's coming to me. Nothing at all. And hey, Haley, Haley, what's the first thing you would do if you magically became a cis man? Am I a white cis man or am sure. I a Middle Eastern, Hispanic cis man? Oh, white cis man? Mm. Oh, I'm going to just use all the privilege all the day. I'm going to just try to like get up those chips, do all the hey, things. Hey, why'd you get the good question? It's like, it's a thing. I get the good questions sometimes. Because I, Ooh, I would also, I'd pee standing up. Put that one in, Lexi. <laughs> that I'd pee standing up. That would have been my answer. And I'm Alana and gender is a scam. I love pants. Do you guys like pants? I wear pajama pants. I hang out in my pajama pants all the time because I'm not a cop. I'm not a narc. I thought you said cock and I was like, "Mm, (laughs) I don't see wings and I don't see phallics on you. Phallic symbols all over as one big phallic symbol. Do I have have my microphone? I thought you were about to be like, do I look like a penis? Cocks or chickens? (laughs) Boom. That's why I said you don't have wings. What are your favorite pants, Haley? I really like jeans. I'm one of those people who just like finds jeans. Who are you? Cop, narc, Like snitch. I have eight pairs of jeans. My mom jeans are my favorite. Light washed mom jeans. Uncomfortable. I mean, or I love the look. That you just hang out oh, I don't in? have them. Yeah. But do you like or hang these, out in them? Yeah. Or and or my favorite, favorite outfit in the whole entire world are these black uh, jeans. They're like skinny-ish jeans but they shrunk. They were supposed to be like straight, but I've had like the straight cut cigarette cut, but I've washed them so much that they're more like skinny jeans. The holes have gone deeper. There's like a hole at my crotch now because like that's how squats happen and stuff like that because of the crotch hole. Yeah. It's not, these are really old, but then having a light washed jean buttoned down over it is like my go-to outfit. Like I can wear that outfit every single day. I have in quarantine, like when people are like, I've just been wearing leggings. I'm like, I've been wearing these one pair of jeans and different flannels or button downs. Did I ever tell you guys about the vendetta I had against pants in high school? No, but I believe that you went through a phase of just wearing I did not wear jeans until I was like 11. Because Oh no, this isn't about jeans or dress pants. I mean, this is all just pants. pants. I can feel. I can so, see that being in your. You life, know how yes. the feminists fought for our rights to wear the pants, and I'm yeah. a feminist, so you'd think I'd be like, "Fuck yeah, pants." Yeah. For some reason. Well, no, I know the reason. Okay, so you know when you wear jeans, <laughs> and they like fold up at your crotch because they aren't really designed for like 
ladies with small butts maybe you guys don't have this problem but like so then they like balk up at your crotch and it's like a tiny denim penis yep like a camel toe no 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 no. i know exactly what you're talking about. tiny denim penis like the zipper folds on itself or something and it looks it looks almost phallic (laughs) it looks vaguely like a micro penis bulge right it was i couldn't do it i i I hated it it was the worst thing so the only time i would wear pants in high school was for marching band or the weeks we had swimming and even the weeks we had swimming i still would on occasion find a way to not wear pants like i'd do leggings and there'd be a dress over them kind of like i'd i'd find a way to not wear pants i spent majority of four years not wearing pants see um, i hate yeah. dresses because then i can't sit with my leg up oh girl or, i like, got the solution up. to you leggings and tights and i was like known at school and i would get mistaken for a student teacher all the time people were like oh who sent your student teacher because my heels would click on the floor so hard and so this goes back to the whole gender's not real thing i think i had to assert to myself because back it up I was such a tomboy in a lot of ways like I loved pink I loved like like you know feminine things boys can love pink too but like I loved things that society thinks are girl things but that I don't think are only girl things right so I think my reaction was I need to somehow assert this traditional femininity or maybe it was just the micro penis denim bulge. <laughs> but anyway, I wore literally not just skirts and dresses, but like fancy clothes. I love that. and heels almost every day of high school without fail. So I think someone once thought I practice. had a micro penis. You thought you had a micro penis because of that bulge in the jeans that you're talking about. Wow. I think about it like two or three times a month that wow. someone made a comment about a girl with a penis while I was wearing jeans in class. See, if that had happened to me, it would have made this even worse. So, but it was like a thing where I just had to wear the most feminine absurd. Like I was probably at times the only person in my grade because it was a very small school wearing high heels. Like I just, I don't know why I did it. Why did I walk around school in high heels? I cannot tell you. Okay, so for the heels, that like makes me kind of like chuckle in my head because Robert has a pair of dress shoes and he's one of those people who loves to look nice for a job like in the attitude if you dress nicely you'll do a great job you'll like yeah, dress have for the, the job you want exactly loves his khakis loves his button downs and sweaters and with shoes what? narc no i think you're both crazy <laughs> and and this was like some government jobs and he like love these bla- brown shoes that he has they're v nice when he wears a suit he looks all professional but they make noise when he walks and people have commented they're like oh i didn't know we had a female in the group and it's like listen oh, hush if anyone of any sex or gender would like to wear high heels go for it they're wear fabulous them. and everyone looks good in them in fact they're not my dad even high heels they're literally <laughs> just like yeah but it's not even about shoes. it it's about the sounds the shoes make if you want exactly. noisy shoes wear tap shoes i don't give a shit wear whatever shoes you want okay shoes are for everyone don't like, wear tap shoes. Do people don't wear tap shoes wear in public, tap shoes. No, no, no. Let me wear you tap are a public shoes. nuisance if you wear tap shoes in a non-tap environment. Before I begin, I do want to clarify that my lady never, on record at least, although I'm highly suspicious, possibly off record, presented herself 
as a man or pretended to be a man. So there's no recorded instance of my lady using a male name or using male pronouns, whether as identifying as such or as pretending to be, so on and so forth. But it could have happened and just not be recorded. She did, however, dress almost exclusively in clothing that at the time she lived was considered exclusive to men in some places by law. Some historians and a lot of internet wannabe historians have questioned Mary's gender identity. While I think it can be hard to look back and consider what way Mary would identify herself if she lived today, I think based on my research of her, she was just a woman using the she, her pronouns of her time uh, who did not believe in her society's gender roles, so she just did whatever she wanted. That seems to be what was happening. It's a huge mood for lots of ladies living today and in the past. So I, for lack of a better way to speak to her because she has since passed, I'm going to use she, her pronouns because it seems to be what she used. But again, we cannot go back and ask these questions. So do with that what you will. Complicated thing archaeologists know all too well. Trying to find gender roles in archaeology can be very frustrating. Actually, I think if she lived today, the easiest way I can explain it to you guys is her Twitter bio probably would have read something like this. Pants enthusiast, doctor, veteran, she, they. Like, I feel like that was probably be the mood if she lived today. However, I accept the fact that, quite frankly, we will just never know what Mary Edwards Walker was thinking. So take that with what you will. Modern terms are hard to apply to the past. Mary was born on November 26, 1832, in upstate New York, which I'm allowed to say makes her Sagittarius because I'm also a Sagittarius. But other than that, we do not say the astrology of our ladies unless Alana says it. I just like the fact that she is also Sagittarius and I do I do identify with some things she does and feel them, feel them being Sag queen things. Her hometown, Oswego, is located on Lake Ontario. So she is what I would like to call an almost Canadian. Um, but that just really means she's from upstate New York. Mary was the fifth child of her parents who were abolitionists. Um, her mother and father also advocated for gender equality. The couple owned and operated a free school that educated girls and boys equally, which they founded so that their daughters could have the same opportunities as their son because they wanted their kids to all learn equally. Yay. They also allowed their daughters to wear bloomers rather than skirts and corsets and dress comfortably in any way they wanted. So they could choose to wear the skirts and corsets. They could choose to wear the bloomers. They could do whatever they wanted. This gave them more freedom of movement, allowed them to keep up with their male peers in a way a lot of girls in their time were unable to. So they had a great, like, open, open upbringing. Their parents let them really make a lot of decisions for themselves. When Mary was older, her parents sent her and two of her older sisters to a seminary school to further their education. And after graduating, Mary worked as a teacher to earn enough money to fulfill her true dream and attend medical school. So we love to see it. A woman in the 1800s working her way through med school. Fabulous. She attended the Syracuse Medical College where she met her husband. And in 1855, Mary became the second woman to graduate from the school with a medical degree after Elizabeth Blackwell, the first woman to graduate with the medical degree. After finishing medical school, the couple married. Mary wore pants under her wedding dress at the wedding, which is, she just, she was not in skirts, but she's like, well, I'll wear a wedding dress, but I'll wear pants under it. Fun fact, if and when I get married, I am definitely wearing a jumpsuit romper thing so that I can do fun high kicks during the reception. Reception outfit, 10 out of 10, will be either a three-piece suit or a jumpsuit. Yes, fabulous. The couple started a medical practice together. They struggled to find patients who would accept a female doctor. So that sucks. When the Civil War broke out, 
Mary wanted to serve the Union and help the war effort, so she went to Washington, D.C., and attempted to enlist in the Army as a surgeon. At the time, the Army did not allow female medical officers to serve because women could not be official members of the military at this time. She instead was asked to serve as a nurse, despite having a medical degree. And, you know, sexism. After working as a volunteer surgeon, because she did not want to work as a nurse, um, but also working a little bit as a nurse and, and serving in nursing capacity because she just wanted to help, in an army hospital for one year, Mary wrote to the War Department offering to become a spy to help the war effort. They rejected her. She was instead offered a position as a contract acting assistant surgeon, becoming the first woman to ever hold the position. In this position, she was still considered a civilian, not an official member of the military. Um, so she was not an army member, but she did serve for the army. Despite her strong alliance to the mission of the Union, Mary often crossed the front lines to heal soldiers, regardless of the side of the war that they fought for. She believed in the right to healing for everyone. In one attempt to assist a Confederate soldier, she was captured by the Confederate army and held as a prisoner of war. They attempted to force her to wear women's clothing in prison, women's clothing being a corset and skirt at the time, but she refused. She was released from prison and went back to working as a surgeon for the Union for the rest of the war. After the war ended, President Johnson awarded Mary the Medal of Honor, which is the highest honor you can receive in the military. Throughout her life, Mary rejected the common tradition of women's clothing. Supposedly, when asked about her style of dress, she once replied, I don't wear men's clothes, I wear my own clothes. Because of the dumb laws from her lifetime, these laws that were so hung up on gender and gender roles that I just can't fathom that they existed. Mary was even once arrested in New Orleans for wearing pants. It was illegal for women to wear pants in Louisiana, so she was arrested. I just, it blows my mind. In 1914, a hotel where she was staying hosted a tailor's convention, and of Mary, the convention host said, we will have with us tonight the flour and cream of the custom cutters of the world. It will be a great occasion. We can make it even greater than we had expected it to be. There is now in this hotel, Dr. Mary Walker, the only woman ever given permission by Congress to appear on the streets or in the house, house being the House of Representatives with a capital H, at any time or at any place in the garb and habiliments of mere man. Why should it not be a great thing to have the custom cutters, the clothers of man, addressed by the only woman who has this remarkable privilege? The host of the event incorrectly introduced her to the crowd as Susan B. Anthony. <laughs> so, you know, that's, Susan B. Anthony, as far as I know, was not a pants advocate. So I've, I've never seen a picture of Susan in pants, but whatever. Beyond Mary's funky style. She was also an advocate for women's rights, and she was extremely active in politics. She ran for Congress in 1890, and on one occasion attempted to vote before it was legal for women. So in 1871, she walked up, she tried to vote. They were like, nah, brah, even with those cool pants. Mary testified for suffrage in front of the house, advocating for women's rights. And guess what? She wore pants while she did it. In 1916, the government revoked her Medal of Honor citing the fact that she had, by definition of her position, served only as a civilian and technically did not qualify for a military rank honor. Refusing to accept this, Mary refused to give up her medal. 
she wore it around her neck all day, every day, including in bed until she died. I love to picture this little sassy elderly woman in her tiny pants, clutching her metal to her chest and holding her little top hat on her head and holding a little cane in her other hand. And that's just fabulous. I just, oh, can you imagine? What, where's the biopic? I mean, are you, I mean, where's the biopic of this lady? February, 1919, Mary died at the age of 86. She was just 103 days short of seeing her dream come true and seeing Congress pass the 19th Amendment. Many years after her death, President Jimmy Carter, yes, my peanut boy, restored her official Medal of Honor status. To this day, she is still the only woman ever to be awarded this medal. Since it was first established, how many people do you think have, have received this high honor? Just take a guess. I'm seeing a four from Haley, a three from Alana. So you think it's one woman and three men or two men? Okay, well, according to the interwebs, 3,473 men have been awarded this medal. Fuck like, everything. I just, what are we doing here? <laughs> talk about this for a hot, hot second. <laughs> I, I think some people are going to be like, well, there are more men in the military and blah, blah, blah. I'm going to hit you guys with some facts that should help help you with this. This medal is still being awarded today to military members who have made great sacrifices or achieved incredible feats. And that's awesome. I love that we're recognizing people who do awesome things. People deserve to be recognized for their work. That's so important. Women have been recognized as full status military members since June 12, 1948. That's 73 years. And not a single woman has been awarded the Medal of Honor in 73 years. Plus, there's also clearly some racial stuff happening here that I'd love to talk about. Only 33 Asian American men have received this award. 61 Hispanic or Latin, Latino identifying men have received the award. And 90 Black men have ever received this honor. The military has been desegregated since July 26th, 1948. That's also almost 73 years. What the fuck is going on here? <laughs> I mean, you could argue that these awards were more common in the eras of World War One and Two um, because of the scope of the conflicts and because a lot of, like the vast majority of these awards were handed out World War Two or earlier. And technically, the women who served in World War II were not military members. It's horrible that that's the case. They still had trouble getting recognized as veterans after the war. They had a lot of trouble getting veterans benefits. Some of them never did. Like, a lot of the WASPs never received veterans pensions. It, it's, that's a whole other issue we could talk about in another episode. But 176 Medals of Honor were given out in the Korean War, in which women serve. 261 were given out during the Vietnam War in which women served. Now, some, some military historians can tell me, well, women didn't do combat. Women weren't allowed in combat. Nurses, people who assisted in other capacities in the military, I, 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 they did things too. So I don't... Mm. 18 have been given for actions in Afghanistan and one for the conflict, uh, conflict in Iraq, of which women were in service in some roles that would have made sense. But no, the army didn't give anyone the Medal of Honor. I still, I still don't get it. Women did a lot of shit. But yes, no women besides Mary. On a much brighter note, you can see a giant 900-pound statue of Mary in her hometown. So Haley, you want to take a road trip? Beep, beep. Let's go see a 900-pound bronze statue of this lady. And I, I just want to add, 
that's the type of monument I want to see. Monuments to ladies who did shit in pants before it was legal. Whitman Walker Health, if you guys have ever heard of that, it's a nonprofit organization in DC, which primarily focuses on care for LGBT plus patients and does a lot of research with HIV AIDS and also serves lots of other marginalized communities in DC, is jointly named for Mary and Walt Whitman, a poet who served as a Norse during the Civil War and who most modern scholars believe was some version of queer, not exactly sure exactly what. So two icons, one iconic organization. We love to see it. That's her story and her legacy. And I do have to say, this is another one of the ladies included in Extraordinary Women in American History on Smithsonian Library's website, a project I worked on. Go check it out. There's artifacts related to her. I've linked it in the show notes. Listeners, Haley, Alana, look up a picture of this lady. I really like her. She, I was excited when you said she's you were fabulous. Do this one. The biography that was written about her is called The Little Lady in Pants. So yes. that's yes. all you need to know. So kind of following your lead, Lexi, on how talking about gender for archaeology can be tricky, and we're going to kind of feel our way through as we go to ancient Egypt, and I'm talking about 1400s BCE, Hatshepsut. I was in speech therapy long ago for my THs, SHs, and Ss, so this is going to be great saying her name over and over again. And and then just refer to her as the lady. The lady. Yes. Jumping right in. Like I said, for gender, she never outwardly called herself a man, but she did declare herself as pharaoh of ancient Egypt and would rule posing as a man for over 20 years, making herself the fifth pharaoh of the 18th dynasty of Egypt. And for ancient Egypt, you kind of break it down into different dynasties. Please Google it. It it would take me like hours just to talk about the different dynasties. I'll add um, a fun chart in the notes for Alana to put. I love an ancient Egyptian genealogy chart. Oh, fuck me up with that shit. Yeah. I wish I had the time to go into it because I would. And she's the second historically confirmed female pharaoh for ancient Egypt. And the first one was Sobek Neferu. Not only was she portraying herself as a man when she lived, But this idea of her as a male pharaoh is cemented in statues, paintings, and you'll see this not as like just an inscription saying she was a man. You'll see this as her in a male body and with a false beard, because that was often how pharaohs were depicted, especially in statues. So how did she do this? She was, oh God, now we're getting into some like deep incest and some family genealogy. I hope I got this correct. A lot of this was like me fact-checking my brain. She was the daughter of one pharaoh, Tutmose I, and the wife, so queen, of another pharaoh, Tutmose II, who was also her half-brother. And this was like very common in ancient Egypt with some lineages. And when he died in 1479 BCE, 
her stepson, who I believe was like seven to nine. And when I tried to look this up again, I was getting a lot of like a young child description. So we're going to go with young child. Regardless, he was appointed to the throne, but not old enough to actually rule. So she put herself as like regent ruler to this young king, which meant that she agreed to act as temporary ruler or overseer while the child grew up and became of age to rule. And this was also like a common theme in ancient Egypt, where you would have the pharaoh, but really it was Mama Bear doing the political and social behind the scenes. Over the years, she transformed from that temporary leader, expecting to just keep the area, keep ancient Egypt from not collapsing, just like puzzle pieces sticking together to a ruler that Egypt deserved. And she even referred to herself as Lady of the Two Lands. But remember, as she was transforming into a great ruler, her stepson, the III, Yes, Tutmosis III is her stepson. Yes. Slash nephew. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Ooh, yes. Ew. Yes. yes. He was also growing up. So she was doing great work. He was still watching. And by the time he kind of got to the age he could take over, she actually was like, no, I'm going to declare myself as Pharaoh. I don't want to step down. I know I can do a great job at this. And this is just me ad-libbing. Like Lexi wrote a Twitter bio. I'm ad-libbing her declaring herself as a pharaoh. And when she did this, we know that she also adopted the emblems and titles associated with becoming an Egyptian pharaoh. We also know that she claimed the god Amun as her father. And by that claim said that he meant for her to take charge of Egypt. And she was acting under his command, thus acting under God's command of taking the throne as Pharaoh. And we see, again, this trope in other Egyptian pharaohs in their stories. And another side like note to her becoming Pharaoh was that she wouldn't have been able to pull this off unless she had the support of like the highest court officials. So this is the point where we get the imagery of her in a male body with the fake beard, as I mentioned before. See our Instagram for pictures depictions of this. So this was obviously a super radical move in ancient Egypt, which at the time I've seen noted as like, it was a very conservative period for Egypt. Thus, like with a radical change in political power came some radical changes in how she ruled compared to other men, like the pharaohs that came before her. And can you guess one of the government-ish things that she could not do or conduct as a woman? Any guesses from the audience? Um, she could not make laws about. Mm, <laughs> I don't know. I was trying not to think of where I was answer. going. Okay, it's the military, of course. Oh, um, she, right. Like, duh. Yeah, we're all doing that. Uh huh. Yeah. So, as women, a woman, she could can't not, be military. Women, women don't be, mili- be combat. Women don't be military. Nope. Women don't. Be Absolutely combat. not. So she basically took that rule of women not being in combat and said, <laughs> not, nah, I'm going to do something else. So instead of sending soldiers off to battle, because even though she wasn't physically going into battle, she couldn't be like, charge, she sent them on trading expeditions. So this is kind of like one of the expeditions um, was like to the shore of the Red Sea, 
So like, if you look at a map, that's kind of a ways away. And this was like a successful mission. Again, archeology, span there's some guesswork and also some sources won't say the same thing. It was later depicted on her mortuary temple, which is a huge deal for mortuary temples. Whatever was painted or described on the wall, that was like a huge success of yours. And it was a memory to be brought into the afterlife. And this also like boosted her overall morale and ratings as a ruler. While I can go for so much more just about how she was an amazing pharaoh for Egypt, I'll leave you this with this one note. Harine actually remained a secret for a very long time. Like I'm talking about centuries. Remember that stepson of hers? So he wasn't banished, killed off, put in timeout. He was just really, really overshadowed. And I think that made him a little bit butthurt because he went on to trying to erase her whole memory from the historical record. He did this by defacing her monuments and removing her name from the list of kings. Obviously that did not work because we are in the common era and we still know about her. And we know about her reign of peace and prosperity for Egypt. And she's still heavily talked about. Speaking of her being in just pop culture, in Kara Cooney's words, she left Egypt better than she found it. Speaking, I was going to ask, I literally was going to ask if you'd read the Kara Cooney book, The Woman Who Would Be King. She autographed that book of mine. So, was speaking, your lady a Girl Scout? Because <laughs> left it better be than Scout. she found it is kind of a Girl Scout motto. Yeah. Um, <laughs> speaking of talking about Hatshepsut and Kara Cooney, I've noted a lot of great resources in the show notes but I just wanted to do a shout out to Kara Cooney's book, The Woman Who Would Become King, Hatshepsut's Rise to Power in Ancient Egypt. And she actually was Kara Cooney's favorite Egyptian queen per her book and this National Geographic interview. I'm sorry, Kara, I have not reached out since that time we met and you said, I could reach out to you. I got scared. It's been a long time. I'm still scared because you're my idol. Time to cash that in. Yeah. I, I should. Right now, immediately. Sur les traces de la pucelle d'Orléans Considérée comme une sainte par les francs So I feel like we would be remiss if we didn't talk about Joan of Arc. Uh, also, Haley took a chapsit before I could, so I'm doing Joan of Arc. <laughs> uh, a lot of this is going to be in French. Sorry for my accent. I don't speak French, but I am doing my best. And I'm going to try and do English translations as much as I can, and I'm sorry. Jeanne d'Arc was born in 1412 or 1413. It's not really certain, so I can't give you her star sign. Um, after all this about, I'm the only one who gets to do star signs. I can't give you Take her star sign. Take this moment for me to go, ha ha. And she was born in a farming village in Northeastern France called Domremy, uh, which is now called Domremy La Pucelle in her honor uh, because she called herself Jeanne La Pucelle. Uh, which means Joan the Maiden, Maiden as in Virgin. Um, Joan lived during the Hundred Years' War, so-called because it lasted 116 years, between England and France. 
I am extremely oversimplifying this uh, so that we can talk about Joan. If you want to learn more about the war itself, there's some info in my sources. The important thing that you need to know is that England won a battle in northeastern France when Joan was very young, and so her family had to abandon their home. Joan's family was very Catholic at a very Catholic time in a very Catholic area, uh, and when she was around 13, she started to have visions of the saints Michael, Catherine, and Margaret. I would be interested to know if there's any like further significance to those particular saints, but I'm not Catholic, famously. I'm not Catholic, so I don't know. But these saints told Joan that she should drive the English out of France and that the Dauphin, the man who would become Charles VII, should be king of France. So teenage Joan went to Charles to tell him about her visions and to fight for him. Joan's reputation preceded her. And so the, the legend goes that Charles and a servant swapped places to test Joan's vision so that like if her visions were actually from God, God would tell Joan who was actually Charles. Whether or not that happened, uh, Joan convinced Charles that she, disguised as a man, should accompany him into battle at, I don't know if it's Orleans when it's in France or if it's like Orléans. So she accompanied him into battle at Orléans or Orleans, uh, which France won that battle. And so Charles was like, holy shit. All right, then. Okay. Yeah. So Joan, who was still a teenager, led troops against English forces and was winning a lot. There are all these like, she was really Catholic and was like mad at people for bringing prostitutes into her camp and would chase these prostitutes out like with her sword and would like yell at people for cursing uh, and was just like all this like French pride, which was really interesting. Um, you can read more about that in my sources. Fun fact, Christine de Pizan, a contemporary of Jones and also another cool lady who we could talk about in another episode, uh, wrote Tale of Joan of Arc. Uh, so Joan was empowering women even in her own time. I actually think Christine de Pizan and Joan died the same year, but don't quote me on that. Uh, in 1430, Joan was captured by Burgundian forces and sold to the English as a prisoner and propaganda tool. The people of Burgundy were like kind of on the English side, kind of not. That's the whole complicated Hundred Years' War thing that I like. That's not what we're talking about right now. We're talking about Joan. The English put her on trial for heresy and threatened her with execution. But if she recanted her story about hearing voices and apologized for dressing like a man and never do it again, she could get life in prison instead. Uh, so she agreed to that. And this is where things get sad. First of all, Charles VII, who has now been crowned King of France, did nothing to save the woman who gave him the crown, which just fucked up. Under threats of violence, Joan was forced to wear men's clothes again. Uh, this was seen as a heretical relapse, and Joan was burned at the stake on May 30th, 1431, at the age of about 19. One of my sources phrased this to make it seem like Joan put on the men's clothes to protect herself, sort of by choice. But if she was in prison, where did she get the clothes? So I think she was forced to do this, and that life in prison was never going to be an option for her, and she was always going to be executed. But I'm not, I'm not an expert in Joan. This is just from my context clues, the way that I see this and what I know about the time period as someone who took AP European history. Hello, Spivak. I hope you're still listening to the pod. That's just what I would assume, what I would imagine actually happened. But there's no evidence for that. That's just my interpretation. And she was canonized as a saint in 1920, since she is now Saint Jean. Sorry to end with coming of a bummer, but she kind of inspired the like Bob trend that happened in the early 20th century. In France. So that's cool. 
She was like a whole fashion vibe right after achieving the sainthood. Yeah. Women do be sometimes having to do men things dressed as men because sexism. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. You can find this podcast on Twitter and Instagram at LadyHistoryPod. Our show notes and a transcript of this episode will be on LadyHistoryPod.tumblr.com. If you like the show, leave us a review or tell your friends. And if you don't like the show, keep it to yourself. Our logo is by Alexia Ibarra. You can find her on Twitter and Instagram at LexiBDraws. Our theme music is by me, GarageBand, and Amelia Earhart. Lexi is doing the editing. You will not see us and we will not see you, but you will hear us next time on Lady History. on Lady History, we are zooming to the stars to talk about some ladies in space. Do do do, my iPad is frozen. Enjoy my singing while it reboots.